invite Dan Getter to come and share God's word this morning. We originally had Dan speaking in the month of August, but uh, Dan is leaving us, and uh, we're going to miss you. We're going to really miss you. He's off to Red Deer. He's the director of uh, International Student Ministries here uh, for Western Canada, and Red Deer just seems to be a little better location for uh, you to work out of. So anyways, Dan, thanks for agreeing to preach today, and it's thank you. Thank you, Pastor Harry, and thank you, Ophian, for reading. <clears throat> and a uh, little little update on that. Our situation is it's likely that uh, Kamloops may be a bit of a base for us still for a few more months after this. Um, and um, we may not be doing the completing of that move to Red Deer area until possibly December, January, February. But uh, more updates. Uh, watch Facebook's or, uh, Facebook or our prayer newsletter, and uh, we'll, things are kind of unfolding uh, over this weekend into the coming week, so we'll see how that goes. Should be an interesting journey, but we'll certainly be here lots. Um, I do oversee Western Canada in the sense that BC Regional Director and Prairie's Regional Director, and apparently the Prairie's includes Thunder Bay. Who knew? Because I covered Nanaimo all the way to Thunder Bay. I was just in Thunder Bay a couple of months ago, or in March, and um, experienced some uh, nice cold weather. We've lived there, northwestern Ontario, that area. and uh, But it's some cool weather. It's quite a contrast from there to to say Victoria and Nanaimo. So, um, well, it's good to, to be together. Uh, good to be with you and good to be in God's word. It's awesome. I love the book of Mark. When I was in Bible college, it was a, a book I went through uh, particularly one semester. I read it through every couple of days throughout the entire semester, looking at the parables first and then uh, the miracles and the teaching of Jesus, his interactions with other people, just over and over going through. Have you ever done that? Read through one book of the Bible over and over and over again. One pastor I know read through um, Romans chapter 8 every day for an entire year. It's a different way of doing it, isn't it? Getting, uh, getting more immersed in God's word. So as we go through the Gospel of Mark, uh, it's an exciting time. Have, have you ever suddenly discovered something all over again for the first time? <laughs> it was kind of like, whoa, I never saw that. Have you ever experienced something you said or thought after? You said, wow, I've never seen anything like this. It's like, it's not like one of those things that's just improved. It's not an existing thing that slightly got better. It's actually a brand new thing. You know, like, for instance, in the category of the invention of the telephone or, or the start of the internet or 3D printing or humans flying airplanes or your husband remembering your anniversary or your daughter returning home from curfew, uh, before curfew for once, or maybe you getting all your assignments in before the end of the semester or maybe getting a date for the prom, all of which may be a brand new thing. You've never experienced this. This is a whole new category. It's just never been done. You ever experienced that? Maybe it doesn't happen every day, but it happened for the people in Mark chapter 2. It's actually placed in Mark 2 verse 12. It says, we have never seen anything like this. We've never seen anything like this. Jesus was on the scene doing and saying things, and people were experiencing things that they could actually say, we've never seen anything like this. We've been around religious stuff, we've gone to church, we've done the, the God thing, but we've never seen anything like this. This included his opposers, you might say, or people who were questioning him, or people who were doubting him. They were saying, we've never seen anything like this. They couldn't deny the uniqueness of Jesus. And I hope that's where you come out at the end of today. If you read Colossians chapter 1 or anything in the Gospels of the New Testament, you're going to say, there's nothing like Jesus. 
Jesus is brand new. Jesus is in a different category. I sat in a Bible study a year or two ago with um, um, somebody who was a self-proclaimed Chinese communist, a student, uh, and a Muslim student, and I believe there may have been an atheist or agnostic in the room in a Bible study of international students. And at the end of reading about Jesus, a particularly, you know, numerous things about the life of Jesus, uh, the Muslim student said, I asked, right? no, sorry, there's also a Hindu student there, Hindu, Muslim, agnostic, and a Chinese communist. She would have said that's her background or what she would affiliate with. And every one of them said, there's nothing like Jesus. Every one of them said, wow, there's no denying Jesus is unique. Jesus is different than anything we've ever experienced or know about. We've never seen anything like this. Pastor Dave Fields kicked off the series two weeks ago by telling us that the good news or that the gospel is good news. It's royal news, in fact. Um, royal news because it's about Jesus the King. We've been singing about Jesus the King. How do we know that it's royal news, that it's about Jesus the King? Because the gospel or the good news comes by Jesus' authority. And Dave took us through two main uh, sub-points that I'm going to highlight right now. It comes by Jesus' authority that is evidenced in Jesus' mighty words. He taught as one who had authority. You'll see that throughout the, the Gospel of Mark and elsewhere. He taught as one who had authority. People said, we've never seen anything like, like this. He speaks with authority. So his mighty words, but his mighty deeds as well. There's evidence that he's Jesus the King because he's casting out evil spirits and physically healing many. Everywhere he goes, he seems to be healing and releasing people and freeing people. He even declares that's his mandate, that that's his calling is to free captives. Amazing. Jesus is a brand new thing, and he, he's the king, and we can see it in his words and deeds. Today in Mark chapter 2, we continue this theme with the third evidence of Jesus being the king or Jesus being the authority. His power to do things that I'm going to describe as deeper, farther, and bigger than anything we've ever known. The ability to forgive and the power to forgive sins, to extend grace, to include people that you and I would say, no, they're unincludable. Grace doesn't extend that far. Those people are outcasts and shouldn't be part of this group. Jesus demonstrates his kingly authority to do all of these things. So let's look at Mark chapter uh, 2, verse 1 to 12, first of all. The gospel, uh, first of all, he went around preaching. He preached the word to them. What was he preaching? The gospel, the good news. He was preaching that he had come uh, to release, to free. There's good news here. He preached the word to them. He continues to go from place to place communicating this. So what's the gospel? What makes it good news? Well, I'm going to suggest that the gospel is good news for four reasons. The gospel is good news, first of all, because Jesus heals more deeply than we ever dreamed. Jesus heals more deeply than we ever dreamed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Now to us, for sure it shocks us that, well, that's kind of irrelevant, Jesus. The guy's being dropped through the roof and he's paralyzed. He can't walk. How about, how about meet him at his point of need, Jesus? You're forgiven? Your sins are forgiven? Doesn't that seem a little bit irrelevant? I mean, at first take? Okay, now other, other people felt the same way we did, possibly for other reasons. First of all, who, who has authority to forgive sins? The, the religious leaders around there knew this is, this is ridiculous. Everybody around them knew. Nobody has, on earth has the ability to forgive sins. It's one thing to forgive somebody who's sinned against you. I, I offend my wife and she says, Dan, I forgive you. She releases me from that 
relationship challenge right there where she's releasing, but she can't release me from sins I've committed to other people or to God, right? There's a relational um, uh, component too, but Jesus wasn't saying, hey, you, you hurt me, I forgive you. He was saying to the paralyzed man, all of your sins are forgiven. I have authority to do so. Wow, your sins are forgiven. Which is easier to say, he responds to the, the objections, to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up and walk. Take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, walked and out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Wow. I want you to imagine hiking or biking on a narrow, steep trail, and uh, Lanny and I were on the KBR yesterday in Kelowna, and uh, the railway is not a big thing, but we got down to some downhill um, some downhill uh, parts of it at the end of it we had planned to go down. And things changed just a little bit. And even on the trestles, we're, we're talking about 185 feet down on one of the trestles down to the bottom. So obviously you're going to be careful. But imagine doing that. Now you're on a narrow trail, let's say, and your tire drops over the edge. Or you're hiking and your foot slips over the edge. You go tumbling down 20 to 30 meters over a field of boulders, rolling over loose shale, stopping against a large tree that ends your tumble but breaks whatever wasn't broken as you were rolling down the hill, you somehow survive and you make it to a hospital where a doctor tends to your broken collarbone, broken ribs, nurses remove the gravel from your skin. Anybody had road rash from biking before? Or rock and shale rash? Wow. Um, but the doctor suggests that and suspects that there are internal injuries and wants to do more imaging, but you say, don't worry about all that, doc. Just take care of the injuries that are obvious. Uh, you know, I'm good. I'm good. You've got the outside. I'm, I'm good now. Um, that wouldn't make much sense, would it? If a doctor suspected you may have internal injuries, you would probably more likely say, go as deep as you need to go to find whatever could possibly be in there. Be in there because a day or two from now, I don't want to find out that my internal organs are falling apart. I want to know that I'm healed more deeply than just on the surface. You know, in this account of Jesus forgiving and healing the paralyzed man, we discover that Jesus heals more deeply than we ever dreamed. Morna Hooker, in the Gospel according to St. Mark, a commentary, puts it this way, certainly for Mark, the Gospel writer, healing and forgiveness belong together. Healing and forgiveness belong together. Jesus is again doing something which the law could not do, dealing with the root of the problem. Jesus has already done the more difficult thing, forgiveness, when he gets to the less difficult thing for him, physical healing. How do you need to be healed? I don't need any healing. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, you look great on the outside. And by the way, you really do. You look good. Uh, most of us do look good. We're usually at our best Sunday mornings. And uh, we look good on the outside for sure. But on the inside, where do you need healing? How do you need to be healed? And how deep does it go? What if Jesus could heal more deeply than you dreamed or thought? What about taking away your guilt, your shame, the shame that's inside there driving other things in your life? What if you could heal emotionally, mentally, maybe physically? You might want to do that in your life as well. Will you let him heal you? Maybe it's for the first time you've, you've, you've never had forgiveness and you need God to forgive you. You need, you need his healing. You receive his healing. He offers it. It's a gift offered to you. Will you receive it? It's already paid for. The price has been paid. 
His body and his blood. We're going to be celebrating and remembering what he's done. It's already done. You can receive it. Wow. The gospel's good news because he heals more deeply than we ever dreamed. Secondly, the gospel's good news because Jesus extends grace farther than we could ever wander. Jesus extends grace farther than we could ever wander. Look at the next, uh, the next passage. He saw Levi, which we accept to be Matthew, sitting at uh, the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, sometimes we call this a Matthew party, and if you ever heard it referred to as this, at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners, they get their own category, tax collectors and sinners, uh, and maybe other sinners, tax collectors and other sinners, were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. That's interesting. Did you catch that? There were many tax collectors and sinners who followed him. Hmm. The teachers of the law, always, always handy and about, asked his disciples, now they say to him, why does he eat with that crowd? Why does he eat with them? Now we know eating is hospitality, it's friendship, it's deeper than just, hey, how's it going, or out for coffee. This is a meal together, a slow meal, not fast food like we have, right? But Jesus here heard this, and he said, hey, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, people. It's the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Friend of sinners. You ever heard that before? Other than son of man, we see a lot in the book of Mark. Friend of sinners is one of Jesus' favorite badges. It's like he wears it with honor. Friend of sinners. Luke 14 relates the same or a similar account of Jesus at the home of a, uh, of a Pharisee in which he's eating with tax collectors and sinners in Luke 14. Maybe the same, but it looks like a different, slightly different uh, situation with, at a Pharisee's home. And then Luke 15 follows it up with the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Between Luke 14 and 15, parallel or complementing Mark 2, we discover something that we may have missed in the past or we may forget about. But Jesus was a friend of sinners. Morna Hooker puts it this way, tax gatherers were notoriously dishonest, understatement. For Jesus to call ordinary fishermen to be his disciples was extraordinary, but to call a tax gatherer to follow him was nothing short of scandalous. It's a story about saving grace. For there are no penalties, no demands, except follow Jesus. Follow me, follow me, follow me. That's his invitation. The coming of Jesus had created a whole new situation, a brand new thing. Remember I said, we've never seen anything like this. This is a brand new thing. A new, um, a new situation in which there was no division between the so-called righteous and sinners. No more us, them. A new division has, however, been created between those who respond to Jesus and those who reject Jesus. Those who respond to Jesus and those who reject Jesus. Those who receive God's grace and those who don't receive God's grace extended to them. So Jesus loved and included people unlike himself. He modeled scandalous grace for the notoriously dishonest, impure, and outcast far from God. It reminds me of my friend Todd Penner, a friend of ours from Kenora, Ontario, Northwestern Ontario. I'll never forget the day the, the father of one of the kids in my youth group was busted for embezzling. I think he was the, ran the credit union, manager of the credit union in our community. He was busted for embezzling, and I mean significant amounts of money. And um, I, I can't deny that the first thought that went through my heart and mind was, wow, how could he do that? 
Guess what Todd Penner's first thought was? He was my friend, part of a church family. Guess what his first thought was? Invite him, as, him and his family over for supper. So my friend Todd Penner invited this guy. He just got busted, was, uh, had already been convicted of, of the crime of embezzling huge amounts of money. Invited him over for supper. Just like Jesus. Just like the friend of sinners. I wish I'd have thought of that first, but I didn't. It's my friend Todd who did. He was, he was a much more authentic follower of Jesus than I was. That's what Jesus would have done. Didn't mind being associated with this guy. Todd didn't mind. Just did it. Jesus extends grace farther than we could ever wander. He modeled that all the time. How far have you wandered? How far has a family member or friend wandered? Not too far for Jesus. Jesus extends grace farther than we could wander. By the way, when was the last time you were accused of being a friend of sinners? When have you been so visibly around people far from God that other people, probably religious people, church people, said to you, or other people, hey, you know what? I'm concerned about Pastor Harry, you know, his reputation, you know, he's hanging around a lot of sinners. What about you? Have you been accused of that lately? Jesus would say, I'm proud of you. You're one of me, you're one of mine. Because you live on the edge so far, representing Jesus well, obviously, in those crowds, that other people are apt to say, man, you hang around them so much, I'm kind of wondering about your, kind of wondering about you. Give that some thought. I know I'm thinking about it a lot. I can't remember being accused of being a friend of sinners lately. I'm looking forward to that accusation. The gospel is good news, third because Jesus is building something way too big for our religious boxes. I'm not going to go into all the details of the meaning of this passage, but it's, it's a discussion about guests and bridegrooms and wine and wineskins. But I'm going to simplify it for the sake of time and just bypass some of the details and get to this. I want you to imagine driving through the Rockies or traveling through the Rockies, and um, we do this a fair bit from BC to Alberta, and in the Icefields Park, we can't stop taking pictures. Lanny will get out his iPad, and we'll pull over the road, side of the road, or I'll be the passenger, and I'll be, oh, man. I, I've taken pictures of these things, like, hundreds of times. I can't stop. I can't stop taking pictures of the Icefields Parkway in the Rockies. Same with the KVR. Second time I've biked through that area, and I, I just can't go, wow, wow, what a view. Oh, this is so amazing. And yesterday, I'm thankful for the panoramic option on an iPhone. Uh, because now, what used to be just this frame, a square or maybe that, now I can start here and go there all the way across. It's panoramic, but it's only a strip, 360 or 180, right? It's not this, it's not that, it's not, see what I mean? Some things are just too big uh, for, for photos. What Jesus is up to in introducing the kingdom is far too big for our boxes. It's too big for old wineskins. That's the point. I'm just going to get to the point of that. He's building something too big for our preconceived ideas about him and about his kingdom. I want to ask you, have you ever underestimated the greatness and goodness of God? Have you ever underestimated that? Is it possible that you and I may have limited him or boxed him by saying, oh, I could never, or, oh, that'll never happen, or, yeah, that'll happen when hell freezes over. Like, that's impossible. Have you ever found yourself thinking and saying that? Or that person will never transform. Or my, I'll never get out of debt. My relationship stuff will never be solved. Do you realize that's you and I putting God in a box and limiting him and saying, you're not capable? It's interesting because Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 
He was talking about living on a lot or living on a little, about contentment. But it's a general principle that God gives us what we need and we can do all things through him. In other words, you can't, but God can. I want you to say that with me. I can't, but God can. Say it. I can't, but God can. His box is bigger than yours. He can do it. Fourthly, the gospel is good news because Jesus wants more for you, for you than from you. He wants more for, from, more for us than from us. Did you get that straight? <laughs> See, God doesn't need anything from you. Newsflash, he needs nothing from you. He needs nothing from me. He's complete. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're complete. He was complete before we created the earth, before he created us. Does he need us? No. So if he says to you, I want you to take a Sabbath break, is that for him? Because he's just not going to somehow be able to manage if you don't show up at church on Sunday morning and sing a worship song to him. He's fragile. Nothing to do with that because he doesn't need you to show up for church. He doesn't need you to tithe. He doesn't need money. So why would he ask you to do something like a Sabbath? For you, for me, to mitigate against the frenetic, insane pace of our society that says you've got to work more and earn more to buy more. But you can't take a rest because you're in charge of your life. A Sabbath rest means saying, I'll let God be God and I'll be me. I'll sleep at night and I'll take a Sabbath rest because God will take care of things while I'm taking a break and taking a rest, having a nap, sleeping at night. God didn't create any of his commands to get something from you. Have you thought about that? It's possible that all of his commands are designed to provide for you and to protect you. Why would God say don't commit adultery so that you won't have any fun? Or could it be so that your relationship would be protected from your spouse committing adultery against you? Wouldn't that protect you? Why does it, why does it say, thou shalt not steal? Or why, we shouldn't bear false witness. Why would he say don't steal and don't lie? Because that's going to ruin our lives, right? No, because you don't want to be in relationships and, and societies and organizations where other people defraud you and lie to you and steal from you. That protects you and it protects others around you. Everything God expects of us is for our protection and our provision. Ergo, his statement. So the Son of Man is Lord. Even before that, the Sabbath was made for man, mankind, not man for the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. See, somewhere along the way, the Pharisees had lost the plot. They'd missed the point of God's laws and expectations. And you and I can fall into the same category. I'm not going to wear my helmet, seatbelt, obey the speed limit. I'm going to ignore the sign that says bridge out ahead. Lenny and I were on some mountain biking downhill trails. And there are some signs, well-placed, caution signs, and I'd read online, hey, some of the boardwalks, you need to go around them because they're old and broken. Sure enough, we're like, oh, yeah, that's missing a piece down there. <laughs> Let's go around that one. That was a good sign. I'm glad I, for my protection and my provision. See, Jesus wants more for us than from us. How have you and I possibly wrongly judged Jesus, or wrongly judged our Heavenly Father, thinking he's out to get us, to destroy us with a life of rules and expectations? Maybe you and I need to pray a prayer something like this. Jesus, I accept that you want the best for me, 
that you want more for me than from me. As we approach communion, there's no more greater evidence that Jesus' claim of authority in kingship is evidenced by, is, is uh, demonstrated by his willingness to lay down his life for you and me. He wants more for you than from you. What did we give up in, in, in his death and burial and resurrection? Nothing. What did we get? Everything. What an awesome opportunity we have to celebrate that as we think of Jesus, the servant king, as we think of his authority um, to bring good news. He is good news. Thank you, Jesus, for gathering us together once again to focus on you, the king, the Lord, the one who would lay down his life for us, the one who extends grace farther than we can wander, the one who includes the outcast and the sinner like us. Wow. Jesus, you are amazing. We've never seen anything like this and we receive you even as we come to remember what you've done for us, Jesus. We are in you.